Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Magazine, broadcasting from the Oilfield Expert Studios. Oilfield Experts, where you get the right products right now. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. And welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto, and today we have a great show lined up for you. We will be joined by the folks from Aspen Tech talking to us about their latest technology that's changing the way the oil and gas industry does business. But first, let me tell you a little bit about our latest issue of Shell Magazine, in which the feature cover is Mike Howard, CEO of Howard Energy. What an amazing midstream company. You definitely don't want to miss this issue, along with so many other insightful articles, all talking about the oil and gas. Of course, there's some business articles you can find as well. So for more information, go to shale, S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G dot com. I'd also like to invite you to a very special event happening September 22nd. It's a luncheon in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. It is our annual State of Energy event in which we will have our keynote, Mike Howard, talking to us about an update on the current state of energy as well as the CEO from the Port of Corpus Christi, Sean Strawbridge, will also be joined by Congressman Cloud and many more speakers and panelists. For more information and to get your tickets, because we will be sold out for this event, go to shale, S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com and click on the banner ad that says State of Energy to get your tickets or sponsor a table now. And now it's time to welcome on my co-host, David Blackman. David, welcome to this week's show. Hey, it's another beautiful day in Texas. It sure is. It's a glorious day because we just last night finished up the Democrat National Conference, which, by the way, we're going to be getting to a little bit later on in this segment. But first, let's talk about the Trump administration. They formally established a lease plan to allow oil exploration in the Alaskan National Wildlife Reserve this week. My question to you is, did you see a lot of interest from the industry on trying to drill for oil up there And then with all the oil we have down here in Texas, does it really matter where they're drilling at? Yeah, it's an open question. I, you know, the the administration was obligated to establish this leasing plan, first of all. Uh, You'd never know it from reading the media reports about it. But Congress passed a bill in 2018 requiring uh, the Department of Interior and David Bernhardt, the secretary, to establish a leasing plan for the northernmost coastal plain of this 19 million acre preserve. They're talking about leasing about 1.5 million acres uh, for oil and gas exploration up there. It's, you know, this has been a political football for more than 40 years now. I remember talking about ANWR uh, during the Carter administration is when it first came up. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's always failed, and it, but there used to be, during that period of time, if you remember, uh, Prudhoe Bay was established in the mid-'70s, and they built the Trans-Alaska Pipeline to carry the oil from Prudhoe Bay all the way down to the southern coast of Alaska for export. Well, Anwar is just 50 miles to the east of Prudhoe Bay, and they the companies up at Prudhoe Bay, which at that time were BP, Conoco, and ExxonMobil always thought there was a lot of crude oil underneath this northern uh, extent of, of Anwar. 
So they really wanted to go over there and explore for it, but they never could get it approved. And now here we are in 2020. Finally, it's been approved by Congress, and the, the administration establishing a lease plan. But the question now becomes, is any company really going to want to bid on these leases? Because times have changed a lot in the last 43 years. It, it would be incredibly difficult now to to get permits through all the lawsuits that are going to inevitably come from the environmental community to oppose any drilling up there. It's such a reputational risk for any company that, that tries to do it. In case you, If you have an oil spill uh, in Anwar on the north slope of Alaska, my goodness, it, it would be major news for years. You, you would never get past it. Right. from a reputational public relations standpoint. So I honestly, if they have this lease sale in December, I'm going to be fascinated to see what companies go out there and bid. Um, because the only three big companies that are still producing in Alaska up on the North Slope are ConocoPhillips, ExxonMobil, and Hillcorp, the independent out of Houston. And none of those companies have really been pushing this. So It'll be interesting to see. I, I guess we'll, we'll find out in December if anybody really wants to to buy a lease up there and risk it. Um, there is a lot of oil. There's no doubt about that. Everything has changed now with the you know social media. Hey, let's switch gears a little bit because you had a piece that came out in ShellMag.com, a wonderful piece. It's talking about the poor people in California that are subjected right now to these huge rolling blackouts as of this week when temperatures were barely over normal. I think we all kind of remember, if you're, you know, maybe at the age of 40 or older, uh, these uh, rolling blackouts would happen, you know, way back when, when we didn't have enough access to energy. What's the problem with Californians, and why are they experiencing these blackouts? Well, you know what? They're experiencing these blackouts because the politicians in Sacramento, uh, mostly Democrats, want them to experience these blackouts. Uh, this is a policy, an, a, a, an aggressive policy, by implemented first by Jerry Brown and, and now by Gavin Newsom, mm-hmm. his administration, to implement these rolling blackouts anytime now that there's a wildfire in California. They're going to start doing these rolling blackouts because they know the policies that they have put in place in California uh, with these ridiculously impossible emissions targets to try to reach by 2030 are going to necessitate limits on severe limits on access to energy in that state. And so they're trying to condition the public basically to get used to having these rolling blackouts. And and what they're doing right now is is implementing them anytime there's a wildfire. The, The reality is California has a shortage of energy because the government has made it impossible basically to build a coal plant or a nuclear plant, and has also made it almost impossible now to even build a natural gas plant. Well, those are the only three real sources of energy to provide base load, what we call base load that runs all the time in a power grid. And instead, they're, they're subsidizing the building of wind and solar, which are fine, but they're intermittent sources of energy. And so when the sun goes down, the wind's not blowing, that energy goes away. And if you don't have enough base load capacity to provide electricity to everyone, you know, when the wind is still and it's nighttime, you're going to have blackouts just happen 
as a matter of due course. Yeah, and, Randy, and so this yeah. is this is an intentional policy by the government of California that has been decades in the making. They know it. They're conscious about it. Well, congratulations, Californians. It's arrived. Yeah. How do you like it now? You know, it's a shame yeah. because, you know, elections have consequences. And I just want to say, you know, last I checked, California is one state in the world. And there are other countries that are not practicing it at all. I'm not advocating for this, but it sure does seem like this poor state is really carrying the burden for something that they can't change worldwide. But, you know, hey, we'll give them a brownie button for trying. And it's the voters' own fault. Yeah, exactly. Elections matter. Elections matter. So if you like sitting in the dark, maybe they like candlelight, though, David. You know, who knows? Candlelight dinners. (laughs) Barry Sophie, you're laughing. Let's switch gears real quick and talk about the National Democrat Convention. It happened this week. The new nominee is Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, did you hear anything encouraging from the party on the green front? Or is it just as simple as looking at California and there's your Green New Deal in the making? That's exactly what it is. Yeah, I mean, what's happening in California is a preview of the Biden-Harris energy policies. It's the Green New Deal in action. This is exactly what the Green New Deal would create all over the country. If you don't want to have air conditioning in the summer and you don't want to be able to heat your home in the winter, and you don't want to have the lights on, and your, the ability to watch your television in the evening and stream your favorite TV shows. Well, you know, just keep voting for Democrats because this is what they're going to bring to you. And I don't want to sound overly partisan, but this is the truth. I'm, I'm just not going to mince words about this. I don't anymore. think we should because there's a lot more at stake. You know, California year round usually is 70 to 80 in temperature. Texas is far different. Uh, Nevada is worse. My son lives there. You know, they reach 115 easily. Yeah. Yeah. What do you do with, with our elderly, with our most vulnerable population, when you talk about these random blackouts? So, so when we think about that, we need to think about, like, everyone. And not every state is as comfortable of a temperature as beautiful California. So these high, hot, or cold, cold, cold states what are they going to do with their elderly and their most vulnerable? This is not a good plan. People no, will die. Yes, they will. And, and you know, we see it happen uh, during the winters up in New England where they've been prevented from building natural gas pipelines to, to take home heating fuel up to the, the New England states from the Marcellus Shell. And people die, people freeze to death every year. Elderly and infirm people who have no no support group around them. They, they freeze to death in the dark every year because of these policies. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and, and in the summer times in Chicago and places like that, we, we hear these horror stories about people who you know, don't have power for their air conditioning, dying, literally dying of excess heat in their homes. And, you know, that's just uh, apparently it's just what these people consider to be an acceptable byproduct of their policies. This is crazy, and I hope that we all understand what is at stake, especially when we talk about oil and gas and energy and what the country needs. But with that, David, that is all the time we have. When we get back from break, we will be welcoming on a great company, Aspen Tech, and we'll be talking a little bit about what that company's been up to, some new breaking products that they have to offer for the oil and gas that's changing the way oil and gas does business. You're listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. 
Hi folks, Alvin Bailey here. Did you know Agreco is proud to sponsor In the Oil Patch Radio Show? Agreco has served Texas oil fields for over 10 years, supporting producers with temporary power to get their product to market. When utility power is not available, Agreco is your reliable alternative. They service everything from pump jacks with a single 200 kilowatt unit to massive gas processing facilities requiring 50 megawatts or more. Agreco is your dedicated engineering partner for diesel and natural gas generators, as well as battery power solutions. Call Agreco today at 1-800-AGRECO. That's 1-800-A-G-G-R-E-K-O. Farmers and ranchers are the hardest working people on earth and deserve a side-by-side vehicle that works just as hard. That's why Yamaha makes the Viking an all-new Viking 6, the world's first true three and six person UTVs assembled in America. Ranked number one in drivetrain durability, Viking outworks and outclasses the competition in features, comfort, and off-road capability. For more, visit YamahaViking.com. Most dependable claim based on a 2013 Yamaha Source side-by-side owner study. And now it's time to bring on our guest, Zephyr Ali, who is the Senior Director, Petroleum Supply Chain Products for Aspen Tech in Houston. And we're also being joined by Ron Beck, Marketing Strategy Director for Aspen Tech. Gentlemen, welcome to End the Oil Patch Radio Show. Thank you. Thank you. Now, Ron, you are one of our favorites. You've been on the show many times, and uh, obviously you handle a lot of the marketing for Aspen Tech. But Zephyr is new to the show, and Zephyr, I'd like to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself to our listeners. Tell us a little bit about you, what you're doing there, and your background. How did you come to Aspen Tech? Sure. So I've been with the industry for over 25 years now. Uh, I have a background of chemical engineering. Uh, oil and gas is where I started you know, back in 1997. I have done different kinds of roles. I was in uh, you know, solution consulting before. I did research and development to a large extent. Uh, I was also one of the key architects of our planning and scheduling solution. And recently, in 2010, uh, I moved into product management. And now I'm responsible for the strategy and the vision of how our products should evolve to better cater to this market. It sounds like a lot of responsibility in, in staying up to date on everything that's happening. It's so quickly. Aspen Tech is one of these high-tech companies that are really helping find efficiency for companies in the energy sector in the way of digitalization. I want to talk a little bit about some of the situations and problems that are occurring in, in the area of refinery. So everybody's very familiar with the rapid drop in both product pricing and demand. In February, we saw a loss of, of course, the price of the barrel oil, and then to make matters worse, COVID-19 came right behind it. And there is such uncertainty and of course, this trying to figure out how to recover as of today from both of these different really bad negative uh, impacts to our industry has really put uh, plants in a place where they're trying to adjust to these new challenges, if you will, and, and how they're using technologies to adapt to help them better recover in these different areas. Tell me a little bit about the plants and their specific situation. We've talked a lot about energy sector. Let's move over a little bit and switch gears and talk about refineries. What are their specific problems? Yes, so refineries, as you know, have been around for uh, a long, long time. 
And the primary purpose of a refinery, just for the edification of your users, is that it takes the crude from the oil from the ground, um, you know, the, uh, the thick stuff that comes out heavy, and then it breaks it down into products that can be used uh, for, for actually uh, pumping our uh, airlines, uh, the gasoline for our cars, the diesel for our trucks and, and railroad rail cars, and obviously bunker fuel for our ships. So at the end of the day, you take something that's coming out of the ground and make something which is much more useful for the for the human population. And this has been the, the task for a very long time. The market used to be quite stable in the sense that there was a uh, set demand uh, or kind of slightly increasing demand over the period. And the prices do fluctuate, but not dramatically. Uh, what has happened over the last few years, and I think we, we call it uh, the VUCA environment. This is a term that has been around for a while, which means volatile, uh, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. Uh, that uh, VUCA environment is only getting uh, worse in the sense that the, the demand fluctuates quite a bit, the supply changes quite a bit, the price as a consequence of that obviously goes all over the place as well for a cost. So the refineries that could be making money today could be losing their share tomorrow. And they need to be extremely agile and extremely resilient to cope up with this dynamic market and to make sure they can survive for a longer time. Whether you're up mid or downstream, uh, meaning obviously refineries are going to fall in the latter part, technology and using it. Some of these plants, and Ron and I have had this discussion over lunch, is, uh, you know, some of them are very old and they've been around for a very long time. And they are kind of clunky in the way that they are used to doing things. They've always done it this way and um, looking and seeing how can they do things differently. Planners uh, work today and they are at the center of these plants and they, and they have the need to become more agile and faster in their reacting. So talk to me about these planners. What's their specific role and, and how can they become more efficient? Absolutely. So this is actually a critical role in a refinery operation. And to give you a little bit of a background of what a planner typically does. So when you're trying to run a refinery, you need to come up with a plan. Uh, and the plan typically is for, uh, you know, three to four week time period. And this obviously changes if some of the assumptions change. So you're trying to predict the future. You're trying to come up with a robust plan that can cope with some of the changes that may occur in the future. So a planner, what is what his decisions is making is, obviously, as you can imagine, in a market, in a free market, you have a lot of feedstock options to choose from, right? Now, each of these feedstocks will process differently in your refinery. They'll produce different kinds of products. So that's an important point. The second point is that, obviously, your refinery has or will have some constraints in the foreseeable future. So you need to obviously properly account for that. And then you have a market that you're catering to. So the demand from that market could also fluctuate. It could be seasonal. So, you know, the gasoline uh, could be could be high consumption in the summer versus the, versus the winter. Right. So what a planner typically does is he tries to figure out what's the optimum way for, for A, to buy the best feedstock for his refinery, obviously based on the price, and then second, the most optimal way to operate his refinery or his, refi- his or her refinery so that he's going to produce the right amount of products so that the products can then sell to the market that he's catering to. So at the end of the day, the bottom line for the planner is to maximize the refinery margin. So all these decisions are up for, up, for, up for graphs, and he needs to make sure that he generates a plan that maximizes the refinery margin. So that's the key role that a planner does. 
Got it. Well, you know, we're getting ready for a break. When we come back, I want to drill down a little bit more into how can these planners be more agile and efficient. But I also want to bring in engineers as well, because they kind of are necessary as well to have a discussion on what role are they playing. You're listening to an Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Remember this name, Oil Field Experts, to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oil field equipment needs. Oilfield Experts' specialty is those hard-to-find oilfield parts for your fleet maintenance needs, and we've been providing those parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us for the right part right now. Write down this number, Oilfield Experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210-471-1923, and visit us on the web at theoilfieldexperts.com. The vision of the Women's Energy Network is to be the premier organization that educates, attracts, retains, and develops professional women working across the value chain. Also known as WEN, our mission is to develop programs that provide networking opportunities and foster career and leadership development of women who work in the energy industry. Thousands of women are breaking ground in energy industry careers every year, and 4,000 of them are already members of the Women's Energy Network across our 14 chapters. Members receive exclusive access to mentoring, job boards, group discussions, member-only networking events, expert speaking engagements, and more. Join today by visiting womensenergynetwork.org slash Houston or call 1-855-390-0650. The Women's Energy Network, empowering women in energy. And we're back. You're listening to In the Wall Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Zephyr Ali and Ron Beck, both with Aspen Tech. Guys, before the break, we were talking about planners and, of course, refineries. A lot of, you know, these refinery plants, they've been around for a very long time. And it is time for all refineries to be moving into modernization, if you will. I just don't know how they survive without it. And, and there's a lot of reasons why they probably should be efficiencies, but then also maybe it's downtime, national security, all these different things come into play. I want to drill down a little bit more, Zephyr, and talk about there's all these things are changing today with technology. Explain to me advanced planning models and why are they more accurate and does the company need to be able to run scenarios more quickly to be able to find if they're going to go down? We Somehow or another, hearing that a refinery is down does not seem good to me. Obviously, it's not good for the refinery, but also the impact of not being able to uh, operate doesn't seem very efficient. So tell me a little bit about that. Absolutely. So, as you may notice, uh, we are working in a very, very different environment of the market that the refiners are built to actually cater to. To give an example, the demand for gasoline in April and May basically plummeted, uh, and nobody was buying gasoline. There was actually an example, one of the customers that I talked to, where the gasoline at their gate was negative. So they were actually willing to, uh, to give money for you to take their gasoline off their hands, primarily because... Since it was not being consumed, they have limited package capacity. So they could not store these gasoline that are being produced in the, in the plant. So, And the cost, by the way, of shutting down a refinery is humongous. It's multi-million dollars. So nobody wants to shut down the refinery. What they want to do is they want to make sure that they can minimize uh, the production of things that are not selling. So this is an example where gasoline was basically not selling at all. But diesel uh, production, uh, or the uh, demand for diesel went up. 
But the problem is that you really cannot make diesel without making gasoline. That's how the refinery is designed. So, so these are some of the key challenges that the planners and obviously the operations are, are dealing with. Now, let me talk a little bit about advanced planning and scenario analysis. So when a planner is sitting down and trying to plan for the next three, four weeks, by the way, that frequency has gone up dramatically. In the past, they used to do it every once, three to four weeks. Now that is happening every other day. In fact, I've had examples where I've talked to customers where the, the kind of workflow they did on a monthly basis is now happening on every two to three days. So the executives are asking them questions about, okay, what if this happens? Or what if that happens? Those changes are, are an order of magnitude more dynamic than it used to be in the past. So if you're trying to evaluate a scenario and see, okay, if I do this, will I make more money? And if you do not have an accurate representation of the asset that you're trying to plan for, it's almost like, okay, you have, you don't exactly know how your plan will behave, then you're literally running blind. So that's where the advanced planning models can help you. So the accurate representation of the asset is absolutely critical for you to analyze the right scenarios and quickly, but more importantly, be fully aware of the what-if scenarios. Okay. Yeah, so Zapper, if I could just jump in, yeah. uh, Kim. So if you think about it, if you're running, let's say, 100,000 barrels a day through a refinery, even a few cents of difference makes a big difference in your revenue and your margin. Mm -hmm. So that's where the accuracy comes in. And I hear from a, a lot of refinery managers, you know, we need your help. Why the planners keep saying they're doing a good job, but why does the actual performance this month not match up with what the plan was at the beginning? Well, and the technology, I would assume, is taking out the guesswork for that senior executive to not, and, and I don't mean this against their team, but the data is not going to lie. The data is going to support either it's really efficient and it's moving along or it's not. And here's where, this is where the technology comes in to be able to help them make better decisions of where they need to pay more attention to in being able to make better calls on efficiency. Correct? In some ways? So technology actually does help in two different dimensions. One is the efficiency. Mm -hmm. So, as I said, right, so now the number of scenarios that the planner needs to evaluate has gone up a couple of orders of magnitude. So to give you an example, I've talked to some of the planners. They were running half a dozen to a dozen scenarios in the past. Now they're running, you know, 300, 400 scenarios because it's so unpredictable in the future. That's the first problem. Now, if they take, for example, you know, two, three hours to run uh, half a dozen scenarios, and if you multiply that by, by you know, 100 times, they do not have that kind of time. So that's where things like cloud or high-performance computing can come in and help you. So you can now run many more number of scenarios to be more, more uh, you know, accurate in what you're going to predict. The second thing is, is, from a technology perspective, is the data science element. So if now I'm looking at, instead of you know, six scenarios, I'm looking at a thousand scenarios, humanly it's impossible for me to go and decipher all the kind of insights that I need to look at. But a data science could then come out and say, by the way, these are some of the key gems that you need to focus on because for whatever reason, it's very different from what you've done in the past or, for example, the margin is significantly higher. So it basically takes the, the, some of the grunt work from planners and moves it into a more, more AI land. Yes, well. efficient. Okay, when we get back from break, I do want to specifically get on specific cloud computing and other things that are being utilized. You're listening to in the Old Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back.
And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today we have is Aspen Tech, our company, and we're being joined by Ron and Zephyr. Guys, before the break, we were discussing the planners and how the refineries have really been undergoing a massive change to become more agile and more efficient. And a lot of the technology that's emerging is allowing them to do this. And earlier, Zephyr, you were talking about how some of the refineries are actually using specific products to help them uh, cloud computing. So let's talk about artificial intelligence and how it is changing the way that planning of the work that they're utilizing. it. In what way are they utilizing it now? And, and really also, how are they going to use it in the future? What do you all see coming for refineries? That's a very good question, by the way. So AI and cloud computing are going to be much more uh, prevalent or pervasive going forward. In fact, the, the first thing that we have done in the past is obviously the cloud computing. As I mentioned earlier, the number of scenarios that a planner was typically dealing with used to be in, in a few dozens at most, and now they're in hundreds and potentially even thousands because the, the uncertainty and the VUCA environment is kind of forcing them to do it. Mm-hmm. So that leads to obviously the, the understanding of the solution. Now, as you can imagine, in, the, in a given eight-hour eight hour day, humanly it's impossible to a, look at all this data uh, to kind of figure out where the data error could be coming from because one data, wrong data, pricing data, or any kind of demand data or supply data could, could mess up your decision significantly. So where AI starts playing a role is A, data sanitization. So it, it goes in and looks at the historical data that you have entered, and it kind of weeds out and the data that is uh, that looks suspicious or kind of looks odd or different from what historically you have done. The second element now is, and this is where Ron can also add a lot to it, is that the models that you've got for your for your refinery or for your asset, AI can significantly augment it. So what we are trying to do with Aspen Baking, one of the innovations that we are driving now is, we are very good at you know uh, the physics of the model. So we have these first principles models that have been around for for decades and very 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 uh, structured, very very proven. But what we realize is that data science or AI can augment these models, make them uh, much more uh, accurate, much more easy to calibrate, uh, and obviously much more responsive to the real-time scenario. So that's another area where AI is significantly going to augment our decision-making process. And the third element, which is now the ability to say, okay, I've gotten all these scenarios, I've, I've analyzed uh, what I'm, I'm seeing the features going to be looking like, and how do I figure out what's my most robust decision to make? That's, again, where AI can help and say, okay, look, I've seen these scenarios in the past, and by the way, here are some of the key ones that you need to focus on. And by the way, there are, I, I find some errors in these scenarios, et cetera. So AI can literally augment the human in making better decisions, faster decisions uh, in the timeline and in the, in the environment that we operate in. Zapper, if I could just add in here quickly. Um, so that's where it's very exciting, the idea that, you know, what we're doing, we call it industrial AI, where the, you democratize the use of it into a, let's say, a refinery. So this will allow, the let's say, the smaller refiners or what you'd call boutique refiners, smaller plants, they don't have the staffs mm-hmm. to do all of these workflows that probably even sound complex explaining them simply. Um, but how do you make that all happen very quickly and much simpler so that the, like Zaffer said, the engineering models that can access the plant data make them more accurate and quickly put them into the planning models so that what the planners get is accurate and gets them a few more pennies on the dollar. 
One of the trends that we are noticing, by the way, to Ron's point, is that the experience of the staff is going down, so the demographic change. So now you've got younger engineers and planners that do not stay in their role for more than three, four years because that's the, the, the Gen X uh, trend. Mm-hmm. In the past, people were in their role for you know, 20, 30 years, so the chance of making an error uh, was minimized. So that's where you know the AI can augment. So it, it brings in the experience element and demystifies the experience element and kind of lowers the bar to make a planner more effective. Changing gears just slightly, but... As we go uh, show by show, uh, uh, a lot of similarities come in, and one of them is you, you mentioned Gen X, you mentioned, uh, uh, we'll talk about millennials. They really have a odd way of looking at the oil and gas industry as it's a dirty, blue-collar, non-tech, and it couldn't be further from the truth, especially with companies like what you guys are doing that actually would appeal to this Gen X generation, if you will, that you have all the modern technology and more in this sector, so you necessarily don't have to go to Silicon Valley to work in a high-tech field. You have it right here in you know good old Texas and good old uh, oil and gas. I wonder if you'll give me an example, Zephyr, of today's plants, uh, some technology that they're using in their environment. Absolutely. So I think the, the couple of things that the buzzword people talk about, AI, AI is basically a, a glorified way of doing regression or basically trying to represent a model, build a model for, with some data, right? Mm-hmm. And by the way, we have been doing that for the last 20, 30 years. We just didn't call it AI. It's a marketing buzzword. So I would like to, to say, and I think, Ron, you can, you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that we have been, oil and gas industry has been using AI for the last 30 years. We just call it AI now. Uh, that's the first example. The second example is that now... Uh, this oil and gas industry has a huge amount of data. It's, it's almost almost primed to be exploited. And I think we are at a point with the, the fourth industrial revolution where we can transform this industry, make it much more safe for the environment, much more profitable for the, for the end users. Because at the end of the day, let's face it, uh, I mean, our quality of life is dependent on this oil and gas. It's not necessarily about the fuels, but it's about, about the petrochemicals that we use, the pharmaceuticals that we use. The key components for that industry is actually coming from oil and gas. So we really cannot live without oil and gas. Of so it's in our best interest. Right. It's in our best interest to, to help modernize this industry and, and take it to the next level. Excellent. When we come back from break, I want to talk a little bit more about the digitalization in the plant, but then I also want to bring it back to full circle of being able to, you guys, explain to us how operations, management, engineering, how they all come together and bring it all together in this remote type setting. We do have to take a quick break. You're listening to the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Are you a business owner feeling overwhelmed where to begin your business's online presence? Maybe you've spent thousands of dollars in the past just to be highly disappointed with the results. We understand because we were once you. Since then, we decided to hire the very best experts to help us and you. Let us send you our business profile that will quickly show you your Google business rankings in these five areas. Reputation, ratings online, website, advertising and social media, and search engine optimization. All of these areas really affect how Google ranks your entire listing. So if ranking on page one is your goal, pick up the phone and call us now, 210-240-7188, or simply go to shalemag.com slash business profile. We'll be in contact with you within 24 hours. Once again, pick up the phone and call us now, 
210-240-7188 or simply go to shalemag.com. That's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com slash business profile. Start dealing with a company you can trust and always find. Hey, you. Do you want to join the fastest-growing oil and gas network in Texas? Ma'am, I'm all for growing my business. So you've got my attention. What is it? TEAK is the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition. They hold business mixers to help businesses grow and network. Any cost to join? For the next 90 days, it's completely free. No charge to join. But they do want like-minded individuals to attend who are interested in growing their business and networking. Well, I want to join. Where should I go? Go to shalemag.com TEAK and click on the join link. Enter your information and we'll get you set up. Join the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition at shalemag.com slash teak today. Hi, this is Tracy Bentley, the President CEO of the Permian Strategic Partnership. Improvements to road safety and infrastructure across the Permian Basin have been a priority for the Permian Strategic Partnership since our inception. Over the last several years, new pressures and increased traffic have resulted in crowded, damaged, and dangerous roadways. To fully realize the unprecedented opportunity for energy production and economic development in the Permian Basin, we must focus on building and sustaining a reliable transit infrastructure. The PSP and our Road Safety Committee are working to identify solutions for priority transportation routes and increased access to financial support for locally driven projects that enhance safety and accessibility for all residents and workers in the Permian Basin. The PSP recently committed $80,000 in grant writing support that helped secure $12.5 million in federal funding to increase capacity along 22 miles of US-285 spanning from the Texas line to Loving, New Mexico. Construction on this project is set to begin this summer. Its completion will mean safer travel for the oil and gas industry and regional commuters alike. For more information, go to permianpartnership.org, permianpartnership.org. And we're back. You're listening to in the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Ron and Zephyr, both with Aspen Tech. We've had a lot of discussion on the way that refineries are moving to modernization using digitalization and all these new technologies that are evolving and emerging. And of course, Aspen Tech is leading the way. Let's drill down and talk about digitalization specifically in the plant. Put this in some kind of context for me, Ron or Zephyr, so we understand a little bit more how. Yes, every refiner, whether they're a very large global company or own one refinery, um, everybody's talking about digitalization. The question is, what does it mean and why do you need to do it? Um, And so definitely everybody understands over the last three months you know, Zaffer was talking about cloud computing, uh, letting you harness very high computing power to run many scenarios. There's another big element to that, which what refineries discovered over the last couple months is, oh, we the planner needs to work from his kitchen table this mm-hmm. week. How do we give him access to the software? And actually, a lot of our teams, luckily, you know, we have all the tools available in our software for people to be able to do that. A lot of companies hadn't really progressed, though, and we helped them. Our customer service people, our CEO, got many letters from customers talking about how we did yeoman work to help them, enable them to do this work from home and remotely. So mm-hmm. digitaliz- that's part of digitalization. But the other big part is uh, a lot of these areas have been automated for years. But even in a 
one a refinery where everybody's working in one building on that refinery. The engineer and the maintenance person and the planner and the scheduler, they didn't work together. They were each doing, they were all automating, but individually. And mm-hmm. so visualization is how do you combine that all and actually give the window to the plant manager and the executive as to what's really happening in his in his, uh, in his environment. So I can add to this, right? So what is happening, if you think about a good analogy, is the self-driving car. And I believe very strongly that the international tech has a, has a vision, a very strong vision. Our CEO is kind of leading this. It's called a self-optimizing plant. I think it is going to happen. It's a self-optimizing plant. Yes, a self-optimizing plant. Wow. I think it's inevitable. It's a matter of time. We're working towards it. To give you an, an example, right? So if you think about a self-driving car, we have, I mean, there are, there's basically there are five different levels of self-autonomy. And the level one is called foot-off. So you can keep your foot off the, the accelerator and the brake, and the car kind of drives it. So it's kind of a cruise control. Level two is hands-off, so, right? So you kind of keep the car in, in, in its own lane. Level three is your eyes off. So now you can literally uh, do whatever else you want. The car kind of drives on its own, kind of, but you still have to pay attention. And level four is the mind's off, and level five is, five is kind of drive off. On your, The car kind of drives off for you. But I think the plant is going to also evolve in a similar fashion. So the example that Ron was giving you is where automation has happened in some of the large units, especially the, the Coker, et cetera, the big units. The DMC, which is our advanced uh, process control technology, has automated some of these units but they were still working in silos. Nobody has fully automated the entire plant. I think that's where the technology is going to move. I think there's a lot of work in that area that's happening. Aspen Tech is leading some of the work, but other companies are also doing it. In fact, some of the big oil majors are also doing it. I think that uh, is going to become a reality. I think digitalization is going to be the core of that because any, if you think about the self-autonomous car, you've got to have good data, you've got to have good models, you've got to be able to make decisions quickly, uh, you have to be able to make autonomous decisions. The humans only get involved with an exception as opposed to making all the decisions. So I think that's where the trend is going to evolve into. Do you agree, Ron? Absolutely. And that's, by the way, for your audience, uh, eventually when it gets fully democratized, because you can have a small plant and you can achieve as much as people can with a big plant because, you know, as Zaffer said, the people are doing advisory work rather than having to have lots of people running around making all the, looking at all the data points. Yes, and to give you an example, COVID, right? So now a lot of these plants that had hundreds of operators running it is running at, running the same, same capacity with a third of their human workforce in the plant. And that has actually opened the eyes of many organizations to realize that, you know, it's probably safer, uh, it's probably better to automate some of these so you can actually eliminate some of the human errors that are happening as well. I'm not saying that you will run without human, but I think the human then you elevate the decision of the decision making capability of the human so he can make he or she can make better decisions uh, in, in an efficient manner. So you know what I've heard between both of you all is you know, COVID nineteen affected how companies did their business across, you know, the, the spectrum of all the energy industry. When we interviewed Mike Howard last week, the, you know, his discussion with me was, we've never been here before, and we had to rise to a challenge of something we had never even practiced for. And listening to, you know, how are they going to do it remotely and do it efficiently and do it safely to protect their workers as well as their company became challenges that it seems like the show is talking about the time has arrived. It's here right now, yes. and we're looking exactly. into the future, and it has actually changed the way companies are going to have to do business. And, you know, it in discussing. accelerated it. 
Yeah, it's it accelerated it, and now we're here. And I also got to say that, you know, many shows we have done, I've never had one that has been so futuristic of what's coming. And I look at it, and I think this is an amazing opportunity for the energy industry to really look and see you have everything, and it is – this isn't going to change. But I also think it opened up the eyes of a lot of executives, their boards, their leadership to see – we thought it was five years down the road. It's here now, and yeah. we have to figure it out now. And you guys, it's good to see that you're not just focusing, you know, today's show evolved around refineries, but you guys are focusing around upstream operators, midstream refineries, and then, of course, you're a global company too, but the fact that you're able to help in the digitalization in all these different areas to impact them to be not just energy efficient, but also being able to look at where we are because of COVID and, and how long will this continue to last? They're going to have to make some really severe or, or I wouldn't say severe, but some real changes quickly to adapt to something that looks like it's going to continue on a little bit longer for, for, for the, for survival, if you will. Of Every companies. cloud has a silver lining, right? I think this is the silver there lining. There you go. For cloud. something bad exactly. that happens, there's always something good <laughs> on the other side. Well, gentlemen, thank you exactly. so much for joining us today. I really enjoyed today's show. Learned a whole lot, and I feel so excited to see what the future holds with uh, all of the energy sectors and, and being able to go digital and using more uh, AI technology. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you for having us. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.